Good morning, everybody. Are, are you excited about being here today? Well, I'm excited about seeing you here today. Uh, some of you were out of town last week, so we didn't get a chance to see you, but I'm so glad that you're here today, not just to celebrate our graduates, which we all celebrate uh, the work that you graduates have done and the future that God has in store for you. And I say on behalf of our staff and leaders, well done to you, and our prayers are continuing with you. We're very proud of you. Uh, but I think that uh, what I have to share with you today, whether you're a graduate or not, could be a very important lesson for you in life. You know, we're starting this new series called Five Smooth Stones. And it's our hope that through this series, we can sort of experience the victory of having an unwavering faith as we look at David and this confrontation he had with a giant named Goliath. Now today, we're going to focus on the challenger named Goliath and, um, and think about our own challenges. You know, we all have challenges, don't we? We all have giants that we sort of face in life. Um, I read about a guy who faced some challenges. Um, the SEALs, how many of you are familiar with the Navy SEALs? Anybody have heard of them? Uh, arguably, they're one of the most elite fighting groups in the world, but they did not develop from some grand strategy of the military. Instead, they came from one individual who refused to allow his condition to keep him from moving ahead. His name was Draper Kaufman. Anybody ever heard his name? Draper Kaufman. We have somebody that has heard his name before. And today he is known as the godfather of the U.S. Navy SEALs. Upon his graduation from the Naval Academy in 1933, Mr. Kaufman's plan was to follow in the footsteps of his father, who was a great man. I mean, his father served in the U.S. Navy, but it wasn't going to happen for him. It was not because of some bad behavior like drug abuse or uh, because he had committed crimes or anything like this. No, he simply had poor eyesight. And this was a, enough to prevent him from receiving his commission in the Navy. So what do you do when you invest years of dreaming about a bright future and making plans to get there only to have it sabotaged by something that seems so small and insignificant? And this is where Mr. Kaufman can inspire all of us. With his door to the U.S. Navy closed, he joined the American Volunteer Ambulance Corps in France. Now, this warrior trained to lead other warriors into combat now found himself behind the wheel of an ambulance. And he was captured and imprisoned for a short time there in France as the, the German army occupied the country in 1940. After his release, he joined the Royal Navy Reserve in England and served in their bomb disposal unit. And while he was home on leave, the U.S. Navy wanted to learn from his experience and at their request, 
Mr. Kaufman organized an underwater demolition school. And after the United States entered the war, his experience and his training became crucial to the U.S. amphibious operations around the world. They changed the course of the war uh, through disarming underwater bombs and conducting top secret reconnaissance. Had Mr. Kaufman allowed his poor eyesight to be the final draft of his identity, the Allies' strategy during World War II would have been very much different. You know, in life, we often face challengers. They challenge our faith. They challenge our trust in God. They challenge our confidence. And those of you who are graduates today, whether it's high school or college, need to know that you're going to face some challengers in life. Maybe you already have, but there's going to be more. If you talk to your parents and your grandparents, they can probably tell you a few of the challengers that they've had to face. These challengers can cause us to give up on our dreams and on our goals. Draper Kaufman did not allow the challenges to his life's goals to destroy him. Now, the problem is that when we lose our confidence, those giants in life can seem impossible to overcome. They come in different forms. They can be addictions. We have alcoholism and drug addictions and sexual addictions. I mean, it can also come in the form of some illness, maybe some cancer or heart disease, Maybe an accident that has left us permanently damaged. Maybe it's a financial struggle, maybe because of the medical problems or a loss of a job or some unexpected emergency, not getting that promotion that we had hoped for. Maybe there are emotional challenges. Maybe we've been bullied at school or we're experiencing that in the workplace. Maybe we've been rejected by friends or family feeling like a failure. Maybe there are relationship challenges that we've had to face, marital problems, disciplinary issues with the children, broken friendships. I mean, there are so many challengers that come up against us, and they seem like giants, unbeatable and overwhelming. But today we are here to remind all of you that with God... All things are possible. Do you believe that? That with God, all things are possible. These giants are not unbeatable. With God behind us, the giant becomes maybe even the instrument of our own personal growth rather than the instrument of our destruction. We begin today with a very familiar story out of the Old Testament. It's a story about an unlikely hero named David defeating a mighty giant and enemy named Goliath. But there is so much more to be learned from the story than a simple statement that God is bigger than my giants. And while there is no doubt that this is true, I want us to unpack the whole story to see what we can learn. And as we kick off the series, first... We need to learn about the larger-than-life challenger named Goliath. Now, I have here this visual aid. 
Now, I, I, need to, I need to turn him around a little bit so you can see his face. He, he doesn't seem very happy here. Um, I actually had uh, Chloe. She, she's done the artwork here for us. Thank you, Chloe. Where are you at? Where are you? There she is right over. Give Chloe a hand. Now, my, my first Goliath died in the process. Um, <laughs> but quickly, we, we got another one. Um, now, the text tells us that he was, uh, in our calculations today, nine foot six inches tall. I mean, that's pretty big, wouldn't you say? When you consider that a basketball hoop is 10 feet tall, you, you get the idea, and, and this rises to nine foot six. Imagine going up against someone that big. He wasn't just tall, but he was big all around. I mean, he was muscular. He was thick. He was powerful. He was arrogant. He was brutal. Everyone feared him. And he came out and he challenged the entire army of Israel to come out, send somebody out to fight me. Now, the story of David and Goliath is probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. And it's a story of God's ability to deliver his people even through an unlikely hero. And in the first part of the story, we learn about this challenger to the Israelites named Goliath. And through the narrative, we learn about the enemy before us and ultimately... Yes, our God is bigger. No matter how big the challenger may be, our God is bigger. So let's pray. Father, please help us to recognize when things like fear and doubt and condemnation are creeping into our minds, that the enemy is just using this to try to tear us down. Give us the courage to continue standing in faith continue trusting in you no matter what the circumstances are around us. And Father, help us to see these giants for what they are. They are not God. They have no dominion over us. They do not determine our fate. Only you, O oh God, do that. And so, Father, help us to put our full trust and faith in you. And may we hear with attentive ears and hearts willing to obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can open up to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to have the text up here on the screen. But over the next four weeks, we're going to essentially cover this entire chapter. Uh, today, we're going to start in verse 1. So uh, read with me as we go. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Demim between Sokah and Azekah. Uh, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, uh, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. 
On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear uh, shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Now on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, who is the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, just spend a moment picturing your mind this, this guy, Goliath. I mean, the Bible says, again, six cubits in a span, which uh, theologians, historians have said nine feet, six inches tall. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I, I've never even met anybody that was... I hardly ever met anybody seven feet tall, much less nine feet tall. Add another two feet to your favorite NBA basketball player, and you've got Goliath. I mean, he would stand above them. And not just a little scrawny guy, but I mean big and muscular. It's pretty easy to see why the Israelite army would have been intimidated because they were confronted with the clear and dominant-looking enemy. No doubt. If he hadn't been that big and that massive, he wouldn't have been coming out challenging anybody. He came out because he knew he was bigger than anybody that the Israelites had. Today I want to see what we can learn from Goliath about our present enemy. Because, you know, we have an enemy. And sometimes he can seem like a Goliath to us. But the Bible says that the evil one is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So just like Goliath comes out and challenges the Israelites, Satan is challenging you. He's challenging all of us. And he wants to destroy us. And we must be aware of what our challenger looks and sounds like if we're going to be successful in opposition and as we go through persecution. And interestingly enough, our present day enemy sounds a lot like the Israelites' ancient enemy. The first thing we see from Goliath is that the enemy will question you to create doubt. If you're following along in your outline, that's the first point. He will question you to create doubt. Did you notice what Goliath asked the Israelites in verse 8? Why are you all coming out to fight? You see, there are many attributes that we could probably name that are behind these words from Goliath. However, there's one thing that I think most important in the relationship with our battle with the enemy. And that is, he wants to create doubt. Doubt in your mind. And doubt is an age-old tactic used by the evil one even in our lives today. 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just internally, have you ever struggled with doubt? Now, I can tell you that I have to admit that I have had a lot of doubt in my life. I have doubted my personal abilities. I have doubted at times whether God would actually come through or not. And there are times that I've allowed circumstances to create that doubt. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one here that's ever had to deal with that, but I doubt it, right? Um, I also talk with people who have struggled with doubting themselves. One person uh, that I know in a supervisory role at a business was doubting their ability when those under their guidance offered negative feedback. Anybody here ever had things like that happen at work where people are being sort of mean and nasty and negative? They, they, uh, and this person talked to me about this and about how they questioned whether they should even be in the role that they had or not. And now I know this person, and I know this person's heart. I know their desire to do good and treat people well. I know they have been over backwards to make these coworkers feel appreciated. So I know that the challengers to this person's leadership are bogus. I know this. People who are not led by the Spirit are led by their own sinful nature, and that nature tends to put others down to try to build themselves up. You ever been around somebody like that? They'll try to put you down to build themselves up. And Satan wants to use that to create doubt. But God put that person in that position to do the good work God has for them to do. Maybe for you, it was doubting a circumstance would turn out all right. Maybe all you could think of was how bad it could be. Or doubting a person in your life or even doubting God. The reality is we all have this natural tendency to doubt from time to time. And the devil, the evil one, is the king of doubts. He is constantly planting doubt in our heads that leads us to question God. Even all the way back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, this is exactly how he operated in Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, creating doubt. The evil one asked a simple question that caused doubt to slip into the minds of Adam and Eve. He's in the business of distracting folks like you and me from the truth. And therefore, we need to be aware of the questions we may be confronted with. In the case of Goliath, can't you just see the Israelites' heads dropping after he comes out and says, why have you come out to face us? And you, you can almost hear, oh, he's right. You know, we're wasting our time. We can't defeat him. We, we can't fight against that. I mean, who in the world could beat that? But do you want to hear something wild? I think the Israelites were completely correct. Who could go and defeat something like that? 
They could not defeat Goliath on their own. Not one of them could defeat that giant with their own skill and with their own cunning. However, someone was coming who would not try to fight that enemy on his own. And this is something we can't miss. Some of us have allowed discouragement and doubt to slip in because we have the wrong perspective on our battle. The Bible makes it clear we were never meant to fight the enemy on our own. Whatever those challenges are, you weren't meant to face them all by yourself. In fact, if, if we try to do it all on our own, we will fail. When you try to shake yourself free from your own sin or your own situation, what you find out is it doesn't really work too well when I'm trying to do it all on my own. We can't free or deliver ourselves. Only God can do that. So it's a little arrogant, the fool who believes that he can overcome all the obstacles on his own and not come to God. When we receive questions from the evil one, we need to know how to respond, not out of fear, but rather in faith, knowing as Joshua 1.9 tells us, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Interestingly enough, right after Goliath asked the question to the Israelite army, he made a profound statement. He said, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Now, that brings us to our second point. The enemy will try to condemn you. Now, the word but is extremely important in the Bible. Every time we see it, we can assume that it's between two different and opposing things. For, for instance, in Acts 1.8, Luke writes, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That word but takes us in a whole different direction. And in a similar sense, here in verse 8 of our text, Goliath is seeking to elevate himself, as if he needed help with that, above the rest of the Israelite army. Um, and as we compare the two, we can see why it, it would be foolish to fight this guy on his own. You think of Goliath. We already dealt with his height, nine foot six inches tall. He was big enough to carry around close to 200 pounds in armor and weapons. The Israelites' average size was about my height, five foot eight. So basically, the, the verses, this points, okay, again, you see how tall he is. How, who would go out against that? You compare their armor. The Philistines, uh, many of them had uh, armor. He wore a bronze helmet, a coat of armor that weighed 125 pounds. Only a few, in fact, only two people in the Israelite army had armor at all. The king and his son, Jonathan. And we'll see later on as David comes into the picture, their armor was too big for him. 
We think of the weapons. We think of the spear that Goliath had. The, the, the shaft of that spear or the, the end of that spear was 15 pounds. And some say that it was probably 10 to 14 feet long. Imagine that. And he had a, a sword that he would carry around too. The, the average soldier for the Israelite army, <coughs> uh, they had farming tools. Spears are like javelins. Short swords, which we would think of as daggers, bows and arrows, but probably many of them had slings. We learn in 1 Samuel 13 that Israel had no blacksmiths, so they couldn't create their own weapons. Clearly, the Israelites were poorly equipped to fight this giant, at least on paper. Common sense told the soldiers that it would be foolish to go out there and accept this challenge. Goliath had the advantage, and therefore he spoke with, a condemn, with condemnation. He was extremely confident going into the fight. However, there's an important statement we can't miss because it shows us the key tactic of the evil one in our own lives. Goliath, when speaking about the Israelites, says, you are only the servants of Saul. Now, a few minutes ago, we spoke about doubt, how the evil one will question us to create doubt. But here I want us to talk about trust. When we remove everything else, who do we trust? Who do we serve? Who do we look to? You see, it's clear how prominent division is in our world. In fact, I would argue that it's one of the most prominent tactics the devil has among God's own people. He'll do whatever it takes to associate you with anyone but God. He wants you to focus on other things, not God. Some of us have associated so much with a denominational affiliation that that's more important than our identity with Christ. Others have been more inclined to look to a political leader and elevate that person rather than God himself for our hope. And when we do this, it only creates further division. And the difference between the Israelite army and David, as we'll see next week, is the perspective on the situation. In our own lives, we kind of have this perspective um, and, you know, we, we struggle to think. When we hear a voice of condemnation, do we automatically just believe that it's true? If we claim to follow Jesus, that means we serve a risen Savior. But you know, the tactic of the enemy is to try to, again, create doubt that Jesus is who he says he is. Doubt and the God who created, and then we begin, if we doubt that, then we can't trust that. You see what I'm saying? It, if our culture is telling us, you, it's foolish to believe in God. It's foolish to believe he created. It's foolish to put your trust in Jesus. Creating doubt causes us to lose trust. 
And this dialogue between Goliath and the Israelite army comes to a temporary close in verse 11. The Bible says when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Which leads us to this final realization about the evil one's tactics. He will try to strike fear in you. This is what the enemy does. We already talked about how the devil wants to distract people like you and I from God. He will do whatever it takes to make that happen. One of his uh, most prominent tactics is he uses questions to create doubt. He uses condemning words and he strikes fear into our souls. Have you ever been paralyzed by fear? Something happens and, and you, you can't speak, you can't move, you're just sort of stuck there. Our minds often go to the worst case scenarios, right? The giant seems so huge, so ominous, so unbeatable that even before the battle, we've given up. We've convinced ourselves that we can't have victory over this challenger. I've certainly been there. We believe the lies. We're intimidated. So we hold back. We can't move forward. Fear can often keep us from stepping out in faith. Remember in Matthew 14, we read in beginning verse 24, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And the story is one of Peter taking an action step of faith. He walked out on that water. Now there are four crucial words spoken by Jesus before Peter stepped out. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Peter seemed to have confidence that he needed because of the voice that he chose to listen to and trust. And that's the question we have to be confronted with today. Whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of the world? Are you listening to the voice of those who would condemn you? Are you listening to the voice of those who want to create doubt and mistrust in you? Jeremiah 32, 27, we read, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. No. The Word of God shows us consistently what God's voice actually sounds like. That's why it's so important to spend time reading and studying, to sort of soak and bathe in the Word of God. If you want to face those giants and defeat them, you need to understand the enemy's mode of operation. He wants to create doubt in your mind. He wants to create condemnation of who you are, who you trust in. He wants to create fear in your soul. And if he can, he will not be, uh, we will not be able to accomplish the plans 
that God has for us. But God has shown us through the word how we can overcome those challenges. The story of David and Goliath shows us how to deal with the enemy. We can't rely on our own human strength or the power we think we have on our own. Instead, the enemy will be consistently defeated by our reliance on God's strength, on his power, and not our own. So this week, I want you to just consider how you're relying on your own strength and resolve. Think through some areas in your life where you need to ask for help. Ask a brother or sister for help. Ask God for help. Maybe you haven't done that yet. Try to recognize the voice of doubt and the voice of condemnation and the voice of fear. It might come from somebody in your own family. It may come from a friend. It may come from a coworker or a classmate. But remember, this is not the voice of God in your life. And finally, spend time reading the Bible this week. Consider reading Ephesians chapter 1. Highlight or write down all the ways God has blessed you through Christ. He is our great high priest and friend and savior. You were never meant to fight this battle alone. So no matter how big the challenger may be, our God is bigger. Father, many of us here today are facing some giants in our life. Those giants want to destroy us. They, they lie to us. They try to create doubt and fear. And just as Goliath intimidated the Israelites, these giants in our life can intimidate us. They can create doubt. They can cause us not to trust in you. They can cause us to be afraid. Father, help us to focus on you rather than on the challenges. Help us to learn the tactics of the enemy so we can stand against him in faith. For those who may be struggling today, Father, give them comfort and peace. Help them to turn to you, put their faith in you. And may we help others who are facing giants as well. So we go through our week this week. Make, make us aware of those who are struggling with fear and doubt. Lord, I lift up all of these graduates to you, and I ask you to watch over them and guide them and strengthen their faith as they begin this new journey in life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.